The opinions expressed during this podcast are the individual's own and do not represent those of Wyndham City Council. Hello and welcome to Recently Returned. I'm one of your regular hosts, Kirsty, and I'm joined by Caroline. Hello. And Emily. Hello. And we're going to be chatting about romance today. So when we were looking at putting this episode together, I found myself asking the question, what's the difference really between a romance book and a love story and whether there was one? And I did a little bit of research. I mean, I'm a librarian. It's what we do. (laughs) Um, but I was just wondering what you thought. I think there's a difference. I think you can have love stories in lots of different genres, and a romance book is where the love story is the point of the book. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, there's there can be romance that's part of another, like a mystery or a detective for example, yeah. like an Agatha Christie that has two characters who fall in love, but the prime purpose is the crime. So here the prime purpose is the romance, but sometimes you will get a mystery added on to the romance in an opposite. So, yeah. Yeah, that tracks. I think um, I went on the um, the Romance Writers America website and they defined romance as a genre as being about the love story and focus more on how the characters fall in love and what the obstacles in their way are that they have to overcome and that to be a romance book it has to have a happy ending yes Um, yes. i agree yes there's no there's no sad romances no. So a love story. No, they're love affairs. That's an yeah. entirely different yeah. category. <laughs> yes. Love stories with sad endings are in the literary fiction shelves. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes I read those too, but they're not my favourite. Fair enough. We want, we, want we want the happy ending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Romeo and Juliet would be a love story. <laughs> Well, that ended but, well, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Without the no, happy ending, no it's not a romance. Ending, whereas um, Pride and Prejudice would be a romance. Yes. Yes, very much so. Maybe not what you think of when you think of a paperback romance. Um, well, we don't put Pride and Prejudice on the romance spinners, do we? We put no. Pride and Prejudice in the regular... Oh, I think even at Tiny, Pride and Prejudice was in um, language and literature for a little while. The reason being is that generally um, they use historical images on the front of the Austin books <laughs> rather than the Fabio with the uh, with the pulse, pulsating chest and the fluffy white shirt. I mean, yes. even even the TV series where Colin first pops out of the water um, hasn't really kind of made it to the front cover. That's always like the classic look. They don't do video movie editions of of um, Jane Austen novel covers, do they? I haven't seen them. No, possibly they do, and I just didn't see them. Well, certainly not that one that I'm I'm referring to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's obviously your more classic romance with with Jane Austen, but 
I think, Caroline, you briefly, briefly touched on Fabio and historical covers. And of course, historical fiction is one of the huge subgenres of romance. But I know, for one, that you've explored uh, many, many, many subgenres of romance. Um, Ah, yes. So can you tell us uh, a bit about your summer of romance? Oh, my summer of love, yes. Well, (laughs) we had a staff uh, summer read. And being the competitive type that I am, I decided to participate and read as much romance as I possibly could, Um, mainly because there's a lot of genres that I never read and I thought, well, this would be a really good way of learning about something I knew nothing and would then be able to offer greater advice in the library to patrons who said, oh, for example, I would like a Western romance, and immediately I would go, oh, okay. So now I know that there is Western romance. You can have both historical and modern. Um, You can have your cowboys work in the land, and you can have your cowboys from back in the day, and then you've even got your Native American romance as well as a subgenre of Western romance. I also found out that there is Amish romance, there's multicultural romance, there's time travel romance, we have military police and FBI romance, Christmas romance is very big and often finds its way into multiple genres of contemporary and erotic, oddly enough. Um, There's also Christmas animal romance which i didn't know existed so i guess you, one of the you need to clarify more what a christmas animal romance is please <laughs> well it's it's not one one would think um <laughs> it's not about loving your pets it's about meeting the person you love because of your pet ah uh, of course uh, at christmas yes of course when else Possibly receiving a puppy as a present is a start of a romance, uh, but not loving your pets. Um, So uh, I have now walked away with so much more knowledge about subgenres that it becomes easy if someone says, oh, look, I I want – I want a love-inspired romance that doesn't have, you know, too much love in it. It has more romance in it. So, um, or if someone says, I want something very erotic, you can make that recommendation as well. Or they come in and say, I want paranormal erotic Christmas romance. It's out there. Do you have a favourite genre? Oh, look, I'm very, very much of the Regency historical romance, uh, mainly, I think, because I'm a big fan of Jane Austen, that I love historical. And so I'm quite critical sometimes when I do read romance because I think, hmm, well, they wouldn't have worn those clothes. You've got that wrong. Um, Very specific problems. Oh, well, you know, the romance is on top of the talk about clothing. (laughs) And they talk a lot about clothing in these books. Um, So I think one of the things that I I like about it is that uh, the time period appeals to me. I couldn't say why that appeals to me above any other, but, you know, you like what you like, Um, as opposed to, say, medieval romance, which doesn't appeal to me quite so much. Um, And so that's 
So reading outside of my comfort zone was a good thing. I learnt a lot. It was the summer of love. There was a lot of love. <laughs> Some books there wasn't a lot of love at all. There was just a lot of hand-holding. Um, <laughs> as I said, the Amish romance, which is uh, the subgenre of uh, Christian romance, is uh, known as bonnet rippers as opposed to bonnet rippers <laughs> because there's no Fabio on the front cover of those books. No, everyone has to wear clothes. Very yeah. much so. And yeah. it's all about, you know, finding finding spirituality as part of the love, I guess. Emily, do you have a favourite subgenre? To be honest, I read I read mostly contemporary. Um, I'm not sure if I would say that was my favourite subgenre. I've, I've read a lot of uh, Regency romances in the past and I'm very fond of them, but I also tend to prefer to read uh, lesbian romances rather than straight ones, um, and the vast majority of those are, are contemporary. There, I, I do have a couple of um, historical lesbian romances that I'm very fond of, but um, as a rule, I do enjoy the covers of the sports romances. I just love that there's, you know, that series of sports romances um, at Tarnit, and they've all got very specific covers, and none of the men have heads. <laughs> because they cut the picture off below I, the head. I mean, it, it is a nice <laughs> change <laughs> from... It's a nice change from the headless w- women but, on yeah. all of the book covers. Yeah. 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 But um, speaking of covers, uh, do you read your romance books openly, or do you read them in ebook or cover I read I read most covers. I read a lot of mine in ebook but that's mostly because I read my books in bed while the other people in my bed are asleep that that came out weird I read books in bed while my wife and child are asleep in the room with me yeah. um, and uh, so I tend to read on my phone uh, which is slightly less bright and less likely to distract them it's less about the cover shame though well, I, I'm, I'm quite open about what I borrow, but I can understand the people who perhaps feel reluctant to be so open about these books because I know that there are some of the covers are, well, varied in what they offer and uh, people can feel a little, well, you know, embarrassed. That's why self-checkout is so good at the library because it means they can borrow without feeling that they're being judged, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, not that as a librarian I tend to judge what people check out because if well, nothing else, I probably bought the book for the library. Well, so I exactly. don't have that many problems with it. I did work with a person who used to put covers, put brown paper covers over her library books because she didn't want people to know what she read. And I think that's unfortunate because I think if you're reading something, that's your experience and go for it. As a genre, romance is kind of um, what's the romance is definitely the genre that has the least kind of status. Mm. Um, Yes. And that's still something that people do. They laugh at it. Yeah, and yet it's it's one of the most popular. Yes, um, for sure. Types of book, you know. and one of the one of the few 
genres where in recessions and uh, financial crises, crises, one of the few uh, genres where book sales will go up. Um, when ebooks first came, ebooks are incredibly good for the romance uh, genre as a whole. Um, it's one of the places where ebooks have really taken off. Um, and maybe it's because people can then keep them on their phone and no one knows what they're reading. But I also think it's just because there's so much romance out there that um, you it's very it's extremely logistically difficult to have a bookshop with all those books in it. Exactly, and with with the the ebook market, your subgenres are going to find their exact audience a yeah. lot a lot easier than someone you know going going through the shelves at, at the bookstore and trying to find just that one that one sub sub genre that speaks to them yeah and i think one of the other things is that we mentioned i mean writers like jane austen who people feel confident to borrow they feel that um this isn't of that oeuvre, so it's something that perhaps, you know, they should be concerned, oh, I don't want people to know that I read this. But some of it is incredibly well written, some of it not so much. Some of it is incredibly complex and deals with a lot more issues than one would first think just by looking at the cover. So I think it's about giving people, it's okay, like we're doing this podcast. Guess what, people? It's okay to read romance and it's okay to borrow romance. And I think things like this help say, okay, well, you know, it doesn't have to be Jane Austen. I can borrow something else. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess um, we might get on to some recommendations, which hopefully people are looking forward to. <laughs> uh, Emily, uh, we might start with you. Have you got a couple sure. of books you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, so one of the books I wanted to talk about today is The Little Beach Street Bakery by Jenny Colgan. And I know I said earlier that I prefer to read queer romances, but uh, both of these are not. Oh, well. The Little Beach Street Bakery is one of those books um, that's actually usually shelved in fiction rather than in romance, but it's definitely about someone um, rebuilding her life and also at the same time falling in love. A lot of Jenny Colgan's books involve... Uh, that kind of setup where someone's had a bad relationship or a job fall apart or something um, something going wrong and they're starting from the beginning and they move to another part of the world and uh, usually start baking or or uh, making chocolate or in some other way move into the uh, into the food service industry um, and this one uh, given the name she opens a bakery um, awesome. Yeah, there's also a very handsome beekeeper, because you like that kind of thing. Oh, I like bees. <laughs> um, and um, a puffin that moves in and adopts her, which is very cute. And uh, one of the one of the other reasons I love uh, Jenny Colgan's books is uh, she tends to put recipes at the end. So if you oh, did enjoy nice. the food that she talks about, you can make your own version of it But once you get to the end of the book. That's awesome. Have you done that? Um, made some of the books, yeah. made some of the bread from the books. Um, not the Little Beach Street Bakery, but I've made, there's um, a chocolate cake at the end of one of her books, which oh. I have made, and it's pretty good. 
Wow. Not a lot of gluten-free. Sorry, guys. I feel like oh, I shouldn't be okay. talking about a bakery with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I am sorry. <laughs> There's no gluten in the book. <laughs> oh, good. I wasn't going to eat the book anyway, but... <laughs> Romance in the time of gluten, Leila. <laughs> I do apologise for bringing up such uh, delicious things that you're not allowed to have. <laughs> I'm sure it's adaptable. It's fine. <laughs> um, and the other book I wanted to talk about today um, is called A Princess in Theory. Um, it's also contemporary, despite the royals in, in it. Um, it's uh, She's a secret princess, which I love. Uh, I love a, a secret princess in modern-day New York. She was betrothed as a child to the king of Thessalo, uh, which is an African kingdom. Um, And then her parents left Thessalo and uh, they moved to America and she died. Sorry, her parents died. (laughs) And she got put in the foster system and so she has no idea. And so this dude turns up and is like, uh, she starts getting emails about how she's being betrothed as, as a child to the king of Thessalo, uh, and she obviously assumes that they are some kind of scam and ignores them. And she's at work one day uh, trying to – as a waitress, and the, this guy kind of turns up, and she assumes he is the new guy. And he, he'd only turned up to kind of yell at her because he was miffed about them trying to leave, uh, leave him behind. Uh, and uh, – he falls in love, she falls in love, they have to work out what to do uh, and how to become a, a less secret princess. Ah. It's, it's, I love it. It's great. I do feel like pointing out for all our listeners, if you receive emails <laughs> claiming that, that you were a secret royalty, it probably is a scam. Well, you Regardless know, she- of how this, this romance turned out. <laughs> If you if you receive emails about you being a secret princess and then also a really hot dude turns up at your work and is like think you might be engaged to me, then look at your life. That's fine. Mm. Um, but if you only get the emails, that's probably a scam. Yeah, yeah. It needs that extra step. Uh, yeah. Once once the <laughs> prince turns up, then you can look into it a bit further. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one's also a series, um, so I'm very excited to read. I've uh, got the second one, um, so, A Duke by Default, which I'm reading now. New characters for the, the other books? Yeah, books, so the main character for the second book is the uh, best friend of the uh, secret princess in the first book. Um, and then um, I was looking it up before this podcast, and there's also a novella about the um, – the personal assistant of the prince and the romance that she had in New York while she was waiting for the prince to sort his life out. Um, yeah. A lot so. of royalty. It, See, the I series like is called the I Reluctant like Royal series. So yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that when you read, you Sounds think, oh, fun. well, I really like that. I want to follow up and read more, and there is more. So I yeah. like that. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yes. And so Caroline, what, what do you got for us? Well, I wanted to talk actually about an author, uh, Stephanie Lawrence. Now, Stephanie Lawrence, obviously in my favourite ballpark category of of the Regency romance, Um, but what is appealing, I mean, apart from the fact that she lives in Melbourne, which is, you know, support local authors, um, 
she, I did a little bit of research. So she's born in Sri Lanka and she's got a PhD in biochemistry and lived for a while in London, came back to Melbourne and said, hey, you know, I've, I've got something to say in the Regency romance genre. And it's quite prolific in the amount of books that she has written. Um, and she's got standalone books. She's got sagas of uh, the Sinster family, uh, their friends and relations, and uh, there's the casebook of Barnaby Adair and the Bastion Club. So she's quite, she's quite amazing with the amount of things that she's written. But what I like about it, I guess, is that there's something going on besides the romance. The romance is there as the main thing, but what necessarily brings the two characters together is sometimes a mystery or a crime or some kind of dilemma where the two of them must work together to create a happy ending. But then you don't just lose them at the end of the book because what she does is she brings in characters from other books in the midst of a crisis all the all the characters from previous yeah, little books cameos. brought into a family meeting to resolve a problem so you're not reading something that's on its own there's a strong sense of revisiting previously well-loved characters i like the way she writes i love the romance i love the uh physical romance if one can go there um, but what's really driving this is these characters who meet each other and realise that there's something more that they could be, there's something more than just romance and getting married and going to balls, uh, as in the Regency Ton. There's something else going on there and they explore that world together. And, of course, there's a happy ending, but you also see the characters in other books later and you realise that that happy ending continues. It just doesn't end with the book. So, um, and, you know, I mean, the particular book that I'm reading at the moment called Where the Heart Leads, which is um, it's one of the case books of Barnaby Adair, who is not a lord. He's a private detective. Um, but is a friend of one of the many brothers. Um, there's there's a crime going on that needs solving. There's Basil Stokes from Scotland Yard who comes in to help and assist them. There's disguises. There's running through the stews of London solving crime. So I like the addition to the romance I, and it appeals to me and there's a great deal of care and attention taken to historical accuracy which also nice. pleases me hmm. um so given that she brings characters across from other books do you have to read them in any particular order or no this is the beauty of it they are not the driving force so you can pick up any of her books and they'll be referenced in the background as being at a ball or being consulted about something. But each book focuses just on our main two protagonists. And you can then start, the more you start reading, the more you realise, oh, that's related to so-and-so and that's, oh, they're related. And she will actually include in a number of the books the giant family tree so you don't get lost with referring to who is who, um, which I find terribly helpful. Um, because I get lost sometimes. So 
you can read one. You can read them all. You can read them in any order. You can go for historical um, timelines and start at the very beginning and read your way forward. It doesn't matter. I just I think you can pick up one and just get lost in what that one book offers and then think, oh, well, I might pick up another one and that was fun too. So I think I like that connectedness, but I like the fact that the connectedness isn't um, driving what the next book is about. Excellent. Thank you. Um, So I guess I'll talk about a couple of books as well. I tend to to fall slightly more onto the chiclet end of the scale. Uh, However, both of the books I'm talking about uh, pretty much fall into the romance paperback category. The first one is called The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. And I accidentally uh, picked up the second book in this loose trilogy first. But then when I realized um, this was the first book, I read this one instead. I have to admit, um, when I read the blurb, I thought the premise was slightly cringy. It's um, like a reverse pretty woman. <laughs> so what happens is um, one of the main characters, Stella, uh, she's a woman on the autism spectrum. Um, she has Asperger's syndrome and she, she doesn't like being touched. She can struggle with social cues uh, and at the beginning of the book, her mother's like, when are we going to have grandkids? Mm. Um, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Uh, so Stella decides to hire an escort to to kind of like do sex exposure therapy in, in a way. So she's, she's hired uh, this man, Michael, um, to get her used to um, physical intimacy mm-hmm. um, and the book with with this kind of premise is a little spicy mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it alternates their point of views so so Michael is a um, Vietnamese Swedish escort who is also a tailor as you find out a bit later in the book uh, and he's he has a secret past of his own, which he's trying to outrun, trying to prove that he's a good, a good man, unlike his father. And this mystery of what his father did that was so wrong runs through the entire book. And at first, he doesn't want to accept an ongoing job with, with Stella, whose um, sex exposure therapy then morphs into you know, please teach me how to be a girlfriend and be my fake boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, they start falling for each other, as, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> um, so it's full of, you know, some funny situations and misunderstandings and some some quite serious discussions as well around autism and acceptance and... Um, letting people in. Mm-hmm. So while I found the initial premise a bit cringy, I was quickly sucked in and just raced through it because I wanted to know what was happening and I got quite attached to, to the characters. So I'd definitely give this one a go. The second 
So the the trilogy, it's, it's like you mentioned with Stephanie Lawrence. So this first book is about Stella and Michael. The second book is about one of Michael's cousins and his male order bride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I think the third book has just come out, and I I'm not sure what that one's about. So I'll give those ones a go, definitely. Cool. Yeah, I like that connectedness where you, if you like the characters and you can feel that you can follow that journey again. I like that. Yeah. So the second book I will talk about, I actually mentioned briefly in our Midsummer episode of the podcast, um, but didn't go into very much detail. So the book is called Ask Tell by EJ Noise. Um, and I picked this one up because uh, as I was processing some new items at the library, the cover just really spoke to me. It, it was one of those like chopped off top of the face um, <laughs> covers. But the woman on the cover is, um, is in the army. So she's in her military uniform. And I, I was just like, hmm, I need to see what's going on here. <laughs> so the book follows Captain Sabine Fleischer, who's a combat trauma surgeon. Well, maybe not combat. She's not actually going into the field. They're bringing the, the wounded soldiers to her. Um, during, during the don't ask, don't tell um, period in the military. So that was between 1994 and 2011. And basically, for anyone who doesn't know, before 1994, they, the US military had said you could not join the military if you were homosexual and during the period of 1994 to 2011 um, the legislation said yes you know homosexual people could join the military but only if they were closeted if um, their sexuality was found out then they would be discharged from their post and not going to get into it too much because it just makes me sad and angry Mm. um but Sabine uh, is a lesbian. She has a, um, a girlfriend at home who she can't talk about to anyone who she's working with. And she's also fallen in lust at first sight with her commanding officer, um, oh. Colonel Rebecca Keane, who by, by all intents and purposes – is, is apparently straight. She, she wears a wedding ring. She doesn't really talk about her private life. And Sabine is happy to just, you know, get on with her life. She's pining a bit. And then her girlfriend breaks up with her and things start to spiral. And she starts noticing things about Rebecca that make her wonder if... Um, her commanding officer is actually flirting with her if there might be something there. But even if there was, could they really make it work? Because for one thing, don't ask, don't tell. Mm. Um, but but she's also her commanding officer and you can't be involved with your commanding officer anyway. 
So, so this book is full of full of angst and pining, which can be really good if you know that there's a happy ending <laughs> coming. <laughs> Always look forward to the happy ending. And it it is a bit again this this one's a bit spicy, but there's there's some scenes here which are just really sweet as well. There's um. The football scene, I would, I would tell people to watch out for, and I, I like the fact that it's not just about the romance. There's a lot in here about the deployment as well, and there's, there's this heart-stopping moment of action um, at one point in the book that's followed up with actual consequences like physical and emotional consequences that actually go through into the sequel. But this one ends on a pretty happy note. So if you want, you can just uh, be hopeful for them in the future and, and not not go on. I have read the second book. The second book also ends happily. So. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just – I really enjoyed the setting. It felt really real. Like, I actually – tweeted at the author and asked about her research processes because she's an Australian author but was writing about, you know, American military life. And she said, just Google. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, that's, Ooh, okay. that's, um, that's some really good Google foo. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting, you know, something a bit, a bit more in-depth, like maybe she spoke to people or... <laughs> <laughs> other things like that but yeah it it feels it feels very emotionally honest so uh, yeah i'd definitely give this one a go awesome uh do we so, have that one as an ebook because i want it and i don't know when i'm going to be back in a branch <laughs> no i think we've just got that one um in the hold. yeah awesome you can get it delivered to your house though that's we, true. We I do. Could. We do have home delivery <laughs> at the moment. I I don't know how they'd feel about staff <laughs> putting in for home delivery. See, see what the queue looks like. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll put it down as as my wife. My wife wants to borrow that book. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> On that note, I think it's about time to wrap this up. Thanks, Emily and Caroline, for your great recommendations. I think I'm going to go off and find something to read in the sub-subgenre of romance sci-fi, maybe. If you at home have any comments, questions, or recommendations, you can send them through to us via our Facebook page at Libraries in Wyndham. As usual, you'll be able to find the book list and transcript for this episode on our website. Lots of love from the library and, as always, happy reading. Happy reading. Love heart reading. <laughs>